when it comes to the Psalms, I, I think there's something special about the Psalms for most of us. Uh, the Psalms have certainly been one of the favorite books of the Bible um, of the church throughout its history. Uh, many of the more popular verses that we probably know by heart are in the Psalms. Uh, many times when we're struggling or we're discouraged or we're having uh, some sort of problem in our life, it's easy to run to the Psalms in order to um, be comforted and to be encouraged uh, from them. John MacArthur said that the Psalms genuinely reflect real life and cover the full breadth of human experience. In other words, the, when you open the Psalms, it's very easy to begin identifying yourself within that psalm. You, you kind of can see yourself there. You can identify with the psalmist as he's going through the psalm and he's writing and he's explaining what he's going through. It's very easy to identify yourself with that particular writer. It's almost like he knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're going through. Within the psalms, you find joys and, and sorrows and gladness, heartache, um, really, any kind of emotion that you and I um, feel as we go throughout our lives, they're all reflected here within the Psalms in one way or another. A lot of, re- a lot of the reason why people like music, of course, is because there- there's a powerful combination between the music itself and the words. That It's a powerful, effective medium. It-, it-, it really stirs us to our soul. And that's actually what the original intent of the Psalms was. The Psalms were written as songs. The, the word Psalms means praises. So all of these Psalms, all 150 of them, they were meant to be sung. They were meant to be sung by God's people. They were meant to be combined with music in order to have that real stirring effect upon our souls. I mean, when you, when you go through the Psalms, you, you, you see quickly that they are meaty, uh, beautiful pieces of poetry that explain uh, much of who God is. In fact, uh, the reformer Martin Luther said that the Psalms are the Bible in miniature. So much of what else you find in the rest of the Bible can be found simply in the 150 Psalms. You see prophecies relating to Christ and uh, what he would do. You see clear teaching on the gospel, towering views of God's sovereignty and his holiness and his omnipotence and omnipresence and all of the rest. Um, many of the Psalms are um, relating to creation or to sin or to repentance and much more. All, all of this can be found within the book of Psalms. It is very much the Bible in miniature. Authors of all different kinds, from, from prophets to shepherds to musicians to kings, all had their hands in writing these psalms. You have men like Moses, and you have men like David, that we're going to be looking at one of David's psalms this morning. Um, His son Solomon wrote some of the psalms. Asaph, even a couple of the prophets like Zechariah and Haggai, all had their hand in writing the psalms, which makes it one of the most unique books in the Bible, where there were many contributors to make this beautiful book of the Bible. But the importance of the psalms itself reaches far beyond into the rest of the Bible, particularly when you get into the New Testament, where the Psalms is the most quoted book of the Old Testament in the New Testament. So needless to say, the Psalms are incredibly important. They're incredibly important to our understanding of even ourselves um, and how to deal with what we're going through, but also um, important in helping us to understand God and the greatness of God 
and how our lives and God and how all that works together, particularly even this morning as we look at Psalm 23. But I want to introduce this psalm that we're going to be looking at again, Psalm 23, by asking you a question. What is your comfort this morning? What comforts you in this life? What comforts you when you think about your impending death? The Heidelberg Catechism famously asks the question this way. What is your only comfort in life and death? And the beginning of the answer is this. That I am not my own, but belong with both body and soul, life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think that this question and answer fit well with the psalm that we're going to look at this morning. Psalm 23 is a comfort in that it provides us with the assurance that our shepherd is going to be with us all the days of our lives. And that we are going to dwell in God's house for eternity. You'd be hard-pressed to find a psalm um, or, or even a chapter within the Bible that has provided more comfort to those who have pondered these kinds of questions. When I think about what is a comfort to me in this life, we can look, when, when we think about what is a comfort to us in this life, we can look at the beginning of the psalm and say, well, the Lord is my shepherd. That is, that is my comfort in this life, that the Lord is my shepherd. When we think about the impending death that we're all going to face, right? Ten out of ten people die. When we think about our death that we will go through, what is our comfort in that death? Again, that we have our shepherd and that we will dwell with him forever. The response is that we belong both in life and in death to our shepherd. So look with me in Psalm, Psalm chapter 23 and I'll read verses 1 to 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture that has certainly been a comfort for your people for so long. Pray this morning that any here who are going through particular struggles, that they will be comforted in this life knowing that you are our shepherd. For those who are concerned and thinking about death, we pray, Lord, that you will comfort them as their shepherd, knowing that they will spend eternity with you, safe from harm. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will bless the reading and the preaching of your word and do great work with it. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. I'm not sure if any of you have any experience with sheep, but I don't have any experience with sheep. In fact, I don't know if I've ever even touched a sheep. Um, I grew up in a town or a city of over 100,000 people, which basically meant there are no sheep in that city. So as I've moved to rural Maine and I've driven around here, I've seen more sheep than I probably have ever seen. Llamas up the street, cows all over the place. Um, but I've seen more sheep particularly than I've seen um, really anywhere, particularly growing up 
in Rhode Island. I was even looking at the Windsor Fair program, and there is a 4-H sheep show. So certainly people in this town and around here know a whole lot about sheep, and maybe some of you know about them. But the metaphor of sheep and shepherd is found all over the Bible. You see that all over the place. You can go all the way back uh, to the book of Genesis in chapter 48 where God uh, is referred to as the shepherd of his sheep. You can go all the way to the end of the Bible where the lamb now becomes the shepherd and he's the shepherd of his people. So from the beginning to the end of the Bible, we see this this incredible imagery, this metaphor that God is the shepherd and his people are his sheep. But in Psalm 23, we have really something that is altogether unique. The author of Psalm 23 is David, who himself was a shepherd. And this David would be the one that would eventually become the second king of Israel. So here David is. There's a little discrepancy as to when this psalm was written, but I'm coming at it as though it was written in his early life. And so David is sitting here in his youth. Maybe he's looking out at his own flock Um, as he pens this psalm, and he's considering the fact that the Lord is his shepherd. In verse 1, that's the simple statement that is there. The Lord is my shepherd. David would have known the intimacy that would have been in between a, a sheep and his shepherd. Just like David knew his own sheep intimately, the Lord would have known David intimately. Actually, I remember watching the video of Danny after he had passed away, the video that they did on him a few years before he passed away. And for those who don't know Danny, he was um, a dairy farmer right up here on the Reed Road, and he passed away some months ago. But I remember watching this video, and I remember specifically when he was talking about his cows. But he didn't just know his cows that he had at that time. He knew the cows' grandmothers. He knew those cows' grandmothers. He knew everything that there was to know about the line of each of these cows that he currently had. And that really hit me. That that Danny didn't just simply know facts about cows. He didn't even simply know some facts about his own cows. He knew everything that could be known about the cows that he had. And he had known their histories as well. And that's, at least in a small way, the picture that we have here with David, or, or with God and David. With David being God's sheep and God being the shepherd. That as David's shepherd, he knows. God knows what David has gone through. He knows what he's going to go through. He he understands David in light of everything that makes David who he is. But we can say that right along with David. That incredible personal pronoun there where he says, The Lord is my shepherd. We can say right with David, The Lord is our shepherd. That God knows everything about us. He knows everything about our histories. There's nothing that he doesn't know when it comes to us as his sheep. If you briefly scan over the psalm, you quickly begin to see that there are a ton of those pronouns here that David uses in regards to his relationship with the shepherd. The first of which, again, is probably the most striking right there in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I mean, 
David didn't have a little view of God. David had a a huge view of God. This was Yahweh. This was the one who had led Israel out of Egypt. This is the one who had fed the people of Israel in in the land for all of those years with manna and gave them water and kept their shoes and their clothes from falling apart. This was David understanding a big God as his personal shepherd. This is very significant. He goes on to say in verse 1, I shall not want. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. And on and on, David goes describing all of the things that God does on his behalf. And so in light of this, in light of the fact that the Lord is David's shepherd, he can confidently say what he says in the rest of verse 1. He can say, I shall not want. That there was nothing that David lacked. There was nothing that David needed. He has God as his shepherd, which means everything that he could possibly need has been provided for him. You see, I I think that most of us would, would have that confidence to say what David said right up front. The Lord is my shepherd. I think most of us would would say that without even thinking about it. The Lord is our shepherd. But then when the rubber meets the road in our practical lives, we functionally act as though all of our needs really haven't truly been met. That okay, yes, the Lord is my shepherd, but then when I'm in, when Monday hits, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, when those days hit, we functionally act as though we won't truly be provided for. We, we're gripers, right? We gripe, we complain, we fret, We wonder if our needs are going to be met or if our wants are going to be supplied. But if the Lord is truly your shepherd, there is nothing that you lack, only that which you think you lack. In a world that is constantly seeking more, constantly seeking after something else, those who have a shepherd in the Lord, they have no need of anything except that which he provides for you. So if you're his sheep, you don't need anything else. You should want for nothing else. What, what is it that you think you need aside from God being your shepherd? I mean, do, do you need the affirmation, and the praise, and the applause and recognition of man? Do you need the Lord plus wealth or plus fame or plus uh, a good job or plus a respectable position in order to make you happy? Or are you genuinely satisfied that the Lord is your shepherd and therefore all of your needs, everything that you need is taken care of for you? Look at verses 2 and 3 again to see the ways in which our shepherd cares for us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So did you notice the other pronouns, kind of on the opposite side of what David's saying, me and my and I, he starts to say, well, he and his, talking about God, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me, he restores my soul, he leads me in righteous paths, and he does this all for his name's sake. So as our shepherd, God is the one in our lives, personally, all of us, he's in our lives as our personal shepherd, leading and guiding and directing So it's simply for us to trust him as our shepherd. But I think that that's the one thing that we often struggle with, trust. But first, he makes us lie down in green pastures. Our shepherd brings us to to green pastures, to lie down in safety, to to lie down or, or, or to feed and to lie down in safety. I don't know about any of you, but I don't like to be in the grass. 
I don't. I don't like to lay down in the grass. I don't like to sit in the grass. The only thing that comes of being in the grass is grass stains and ticks. I just, I don't like to be in the grass. But since David uses that, we'll have to go with it. But the grass that the Lord brings us to is safe. It's a safe pasture. It's a pasture that's plentiful for our feeding. So when it comes to being a sheep of this shepherd, the thought should never come to our mind, the grass is greener, right? The grass is greener over in that other pasture. That should never come across the minds of those who are being cared for by God. For those who know the Lord truly, they are in the greenest pastures. They feed there. They rest there. They are in the best possible pasture because that is where the Lord has brought them. But verse 2 continues to say that he leads us beside still waters. Again, notice the one who has done the leading. It is the Lord. He has led us to these still waters. Not rough waters. Not choppy waters. But still waters that he has brought us to. David continues to say that the shepherd restores his soul. That the shepherd is the one who restores the soul of his sheep when they are cast down. We cannot restore ourselves. We cannot revive ourselves from spiritual deprivation. But the tool that our shepherd uses is his own word. In Psalm chapter 19, he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving or restoring the soul. So it's the very word of God that is used by the shepherd to revive his sheep. So many of God's sheep, so many Christians find themselves in the position of needing to be revived. In my own life, when my soul is in need of that kind of restoration, it is often because I have not been feeding on God's Word. The church in America is in serious need of being revived. And the place that all of this has to begin is with God's Word. The place that it's going to begin in your own life, in your own restoration and revival, is going to come as a result of an uncompromised return to God's Word. That's what God uses to restore our souls. He uses His own Word. David continues in verse 3 to say that He leads us in the paths of righteousness. He leads us in righteous paths, paths that we don't deserve to be on, paths that we don't deserve to travel as sinful sheep. But I want to bring your attention specifically to the words at the end of verse 3. Why does our shepherd do these things? For his name's sake. Why does God lead you in the paths of righteousness? For his name's sake. So God doesn't simply do what he does for the benefit of his sheep. He does what he does for his own name's sake. What God chooses to do with his sheep is all for his own glory. And this is really important to get. This is one of those things that if we start to get this, it begins to change our understanding and puts God in this proper place and us in our proper place. If we don't think of it this way, that God does what he does for his own glory and for his own namesake, then really God just kind of becomes our genie in a bottle where he simply lives to please us, to be at our beck and call, to get us out of our messes. But the reality is, the reason God does what he does for his sheep is for his own namesake sake, and we benefit as a result of him doing what he does for himself and for his own glory. So we're so blessed to be his sheep. Be reminded of that this morning, that we, we lack nothing if we have him. That he leads us into these green pastures besides still waters. He restores our soul, leads us 
and righteous past. And why does he do all of this? He does it all for his own sake, for his glory. But the sobering reality with this psalm is that the unsaved have none of this. That if you are not God's sheep, you don't have this relationship with the shepherd. The unsaved are are traveling from pasture to pasture, seeking something that is going to satisfy them. Their thirst is never truly quenched. Their soul is, is constantly weary. The paths that they walk are destructive. They are quite literally sheep without a shepherd. And all of this is particularly difficult when we walk through what David says in verse 4 and what he calls the valley of the shadow of death. Look down there at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the valley of the shadow of death here could also be translated valley of deep darkness. And the reality is that we are all going to encounter valleys of deep darkness, depression, struggle, issues in our lives. David presumes that God's sheep are going to go through these kinds of things. Just because the Lord is his shepherd doesn't mean that there will not be valleys and that he's just constantly going to be on some sort of mountain peak high. We will go through valleys with our shepherd. And we have to be very careful nowadays with so many TV pastors and authors funneling into us some sort of message that says that if you trust Jesus, that no bad thing's going to happen and that only good things are going to happen. That if you trust in Jesus, then you're going to get a sweet new house or a sweet new car or something like that. And that no trouble is ever going to befall you because you say that you trust in Jesus. But that is not true. David doesn't say, the Lord is my shepherd, so that means I'm never going to go through any kind of difficulty. Instead, he is confident that trouble is going to come and that the Lord would be with him in that struggle, that the Lord would be with him in those valleys. Some of you here now may be going through some sort of valley. And I want to remind you of the comfort that this verse should bring you, that God is with you, that God loves you, that your shepherd is there. There is nothing to fear while you are in the valley. So although it feels long, although it feels dark, that your shepherd has not left your side, that your shepherd is right there with you in that valley. I love the way that David writes this. He says, though I walk through the valley. So it doesn't say, though I run through the valley. It doesn't say, though I sprint through the valley. He says that he walks through the valley. So we, we don't run through them. Running implies that we're scared, but walking implies that we are trusting. And again, this is one of the big struggles that we have as sheep, is that we struggle in trusting God. When we begin to walk through a valley, we tend to blame God for letting us go through the valley instead of trusting that He is with us, trusting that He is present as we walk through the valley. David brings up here the rod and the staff of God, that that they're a comfort to him. The rod would have been used by the shepherd to to beat off um, wolves or lions or whatever would have come to to steal the, the sheep. And then the staff is what God or the the shepherd would use to keep all the sheep in line, to keep them walking in safety. So David here is comforted knowing that the rod and the staff of God are going to keep him safe and are going to keep him in line as they walk through the valley. 
I'm sure many of you can remember some of the more scariest memories of things you've done in your life. I'm not talking about a roller coaster. I'm talking more of like legitimate scary. Kind of like you're in this, frankly, this building at night. It's kind of creepy. So if you're in a building all alone at night, the wind is howling, and you're just kind of scared, right? But if you have somebody with you, it's no big deal, right? Having somebody present with you, you can hear some wind, you can hear some cracking of the floors, and it doesn't scare you like it would if you are all by yourself. And David says that in the valley of the shadow of death, that he will not fear evil, that he won't even fear the evil one. Why? Because the shepherd was with him. His rod and his staff, they were comforted, comforts to him. He knows he is protected. He knows that he will reach the end of the valley. And so will we. A shepherd will always bring us out. So the Lord is our shepherd, but he kind of transitions a little bit and begins to talk about the Lord as our host. And it's interesting because the language that David begins using changes. So in the first few verses, he says that the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord does this for me. He brings me here. He does this. He does it all for his name's sake. But then in verse 5, he begins talking to God. Look at verse 5. You, God, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, God, anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So David moves into, into talking about God as host, setting a table before him where he is completely safe from any of his enemies. And so again, God has not promised that David was going to have some sort of easy life. The enemies are around, but there was protection at the Lord's table. The table is set in the presence of the enemies, and David is going to eat comfortably, knowing that the Lord is going to hem away the enemies. One commentator said this, Psalm 23 promises divine protection, not an easy life. God gives us a table in the midst of our enemies. He does not eradicate our foes all at once. But he does work to give us rest and refreshment, even when these enemies are at the door. So we have this constant protection of our gracious host, who has anointed our heads with oil. Our cups are overflowing. We don't lack Anything And look what all of this presses David to say in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says surely. That there's this confidence that David has. That God is going to come through on his behalf. That he is going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That that goodness and mercy would surely always follow him as he goes throughout this life. David is confident that this mercy and this goodness of the Lord would always be with him because he is confident that the Lord would never leave him. Again, this psalm is being written at the beginning of of David's life when he's younger. And David will need this kind of steadfast confidence in God as the trials begin to come into his life. Many of you know, know the story of David and what he goes on to do and the wrong things that he begins to do with his committing of adultery, with his murder of his adulteress's husband and all of the rest. He would be pursued by his own son Absalom in order to, his son was trying to kill him. King Saul was trying to kill him. There would be many valleys in David's life and he would need this bedrock confidence that the Lord would be his shepherd all the days of his life and knowing that he was going to dwell forever with his 
shepherd. I love this imagery of God being the shepherd and we being his sheep. So again, here David is as a shepherd boy talking, how, talking about how great of a shepherd that he has in God. But what David couldn't have quite realized and put together is that one day, through his own line, the shepherd that he talks about in this passage would come to earth. So in verse 1, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, right? He himself being a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And then eventually, Jesus Christ himself would come through the line of David, and he would be the shepherd of his people. Turn over to John chapter 10. So Jesus Christ would come to earth as a baby through the line of David. He would fulfill all of the Old Testament imagery and types and shadows referring to the shepherd. He would come to earth and seek and to save his lost sheep. But then in John chapter 10, we see this explicit reference to Christ referring to himself as shepherd. So John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Go down to verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Verse 25. I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So in an incredible, unprecedented act of love, the shepherd, Jesus... God in the flesh would lay down his life for his sheep so that they could be forgiven, so that they could be made righteous and given the opportunity to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What what an incredible privilege, again, to be shepherded by Christ, that he's our shepherd, that we don't lack anything. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us to still waters. He restores our soul. He leads us in righteous path, and he does this all for his namesake. So when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we have nothing at all to fear because he is with us. His rod and his staff, they're they're comforting to us, and he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, and he anoints our head with oil and our cup is overflowing and so we can have the confidence that surely goodness and mercy is going to follow us all the days of our life and we will dwell with him forever so in that beginning question that we looked at what is your comfort in this life and in your death it's that you belong both in body and soul in life and in death to your great shepherd let's pray